This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show! Welcome to the Voices in Recovery Podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Well, I have the absolute distinct pleasure of having my dad on tonight. Um, been looking forward to sitting down with you since we started. And it's not an accident, I don't think, that he's wearing a Canadian tuxedo while we're doing this. Um, that is a denim shirt, right? Yes. Yeah. I love it. Because you're Canadian, so you I got love it. it. Well, All Dad, thanks way. for coming on. Hey, you're welcome. It's an honor. Take it away. <laughs> Take it away. Um, David, my son, my middle son, has uh, invited me on his podcast, and it's uh, an honor to be here with Dave and Darcy. And uh, Darcy got me all mic'd up, so I will try to uh, avail myself of being mic'd up. And uh, I understand I'm the only one speaking on this podcast, so it's probably going to be about, well, maybe three hours. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I was really worried. Just kidding. Just I was kidding. worried when you came in with that giant Bible. Just as well. kidding. <laughs> no Bible. No Bible. <laughs> yeah, David Tom asked me if I would share my story, and I think it, like that's really appropriate mm-hmm. uh, right now because I just finished our, our Celebrate Life Recovery service, uh, which we have every Saturday at five o'clock at uh, Wild Rose United Church, and uh, Dave helps me with that service, and it's uh, kind of a, a recovery meeting, an AA meeting with music, mm-hmm. and uh, I share a a message that I try to uh, share how the steps come from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, the opening of step 12 is what we're working on right now. Um, it's the 12th month, and so we're working on the 12th step. And in January, uh, David will be working on step one. Yeah, if it works out that way. Yeah, <laughs> if it works out that way, that's yeah. right. We kind of go with the flow around here. <laughs> So I was, I was thinking about those words, having had a spiritual awakening. I had a, a profound spiritual awakening that, that uh, changed my, um, my life uh, very dramatically. And I know that uh, people hear all the time about uh, these uh, conversion experiences. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I really did have a profound ex- uh, spiritual awakening. I started drinking when I was 13 years old, and uh, I got—I uh, re- I didn't realize, of course, at the time that I was an alcoholic. 
and that I had some real problems coming my way. And uh, what would happen, what, what happened was I started drinking at 13, and then at 15, uh, my older sister, who I loved just dearly, um, I found out that, she, well, I'd found out at 10 that she was really my mother. And uh, I was adopted by my grandparents. And when I was uh, 15, uh, my older sister, Betty, uh, died from an overdose. And um, that was the beginning uh, of the end for me because I, I just, I had so much rage uh, over this whole thing. And I stuffed a lot of the, the rage down inside. Um, I remember that night when, when she died, uh, coming out from the family in the, uh, in the house and everybody crying and wailing and, oh my God, it was awful. And coming out in the backyard of my mom and dad's house and just screaming at the heavens. Uh, it was a cold winter night, on, on De it was December, Christmas time, and uh, yelling um, at God. Um, that if this was the way it was, if you had faith in God, then uh, I, I didn't have any, and I wouldn't, I'd never, I'd never believe in God again. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was a really profound experience for me. So from that came a lot of anger, a lot of drinking, um, and uh, a re as a result, a lot of uh, violent behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, things got, went from bad to worse and I was in and out of jail and uh, and then got into a, a whole fiasco with a family there in the city of Moose Jaw where I was growing up uh, where we were trying to kill them they were trying to kill us uh, and we were uh, shooting at each other and stabbing each other and uh, I ended up in the hospital with a fractured skull and a concussion a broken nose um, twice within six months I, I was I was the only one that ended up that beat up <laughs> it was obviously I wasn't near as tough as I thought I was and uh, or you were indestructible uh, or, or it was boy I tell you what and uh, it was the it was the most amazing thing and I was in the hospital um, under police guard the, the police were back and forth and uh, they, uh, I ended up actually going right from the hospital when the doctor released me about a week after this big gang fight thing that we had. Um, and uh, I was uh, went taken by the police to the city jail and, and then uh, charged with uh, attempted murder. Anyway, uh, while I was in the hospital, I was walking down the hallway um, of the hospital and I had all these bandages on my head and my face and and uh, this old guy was uh, standing in the doorway of this room and he was a pretty distinctive looking guy. He was a, a big guy you know, with white hair. And he saw me and he said, oh man, what happened to you? Because I was so bandaged up and beaten up. And I said, oh, I was in an accident. And uh, he said, what's your name? And of course, I told him my name was Wayne Lurie. And, uh, at that time, my brother was an alderman in the city, and my uncle was the mayor of the city. So the name was really familiar, and of course the whole gang fight thing was on the front page of the papers and all this. And uh, so uh, 
he said to me, he said, uh, I know somebody who can help you. And uh, I said, uh, really? And he said, yeah, I know somebody who can help you. But I, he said, I just had back surgery and I need to lay down. So if you want to come on in, uh, I'll tell you who can help you. So, so I went in his room and he laid down in the bed and, and uh, <laughs> I think back on it now, I can't believe it, you know, 52 years later, 52. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unreal. And I, I, I'm talking to this old guy. He's laying on the bed, and I'm talking to him, you know, and, and uh, I'm thinking I'm pretty, I'm a tough guy type of thing. And he says, I really know, I know somebody who can help you, Wayne. And I thought he was going to tell me like a good lawyer because mm -hmm. I needed a lawyer real bad. And uh, he looked at me and he said, uh, Wayne, he said, uh, Jesus Christ can help you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just about <laughs> uh, fell over when he said that. And I looked at him, and I was, I was just such a smartass. I said, uh, I said, you know, I said, uh, um, I guess you haven't heard, but he died. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> and he looked at me. He didn't bat an eye. He looked at me, and he said, uh, Wayne, he's not dead. He's alive. And I still get goosebumps Darcy when I when I hear the when I think of those words he's not dead he's alive mm -hmm. and uh, when he said that there was just something um, it was like electricity in the room and I said I uh, well I better go back to my room I need to lay down mm -hmm. <laughs> so anyway so uh, I went it was just a few, day or two later I'll, I'll leave out some of the some of it because it I get long-winded but it's uh got as much time Bob <laughs> well anyway okay so I so I go back to my room Darcy's like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> so I go back to my room and and uh and in those days believe it or not you know you could smoke in the hospital room mm -hmm. and I went back to my room and I got out my export A's you know and I and I lit up a cigarette, and I was, and I was thinking about this, you know, you know, this is too much, too crazy. So then I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to go and go to the chapel in the hospital, and the chapel was on a different floor, and um, my dad was also in the hospital at that time. He was not in good shape, but I hadn't helped at all. But uh, I started to head for the elevator, um, and the head nurse stopped me and said, uh, no, no, you can't go off the floor. The, you, the police are in and out here, and we're not allowed to let you go. Well, I said, well, I'm going to go see my dad. You know, he's in whatever room. And uh, I just went. I said, do what you're going to do, but I'm going. Mm. So I went, and I actually, on my way to see my dad, I, I went into the chapel at the hospital, and I remember... I went to the. I was the only one in the chapel, and it was dark except for a little light at the front. And I went and I knelt down in the, at the chapel, and I remember saying to God, you know, God, if you really are there, if you really are there, then help me to get up off my knees. And this is all a bad dream, you know. And my head's not killing me, because I'd had I had it caved in with a wheel wrench, and so I was uh, quite a mess. So I, uh, of course, I got up off my knees and my head was still hurting. 
and I still, <laughs> so I said, I knew it, I knew it, and I went back up, went and saw my dad, and then I went back to my room. So I got out of, the, I, the police came, a couple of days later, the doc warned me, said, they're, they're coming to, they're coming to take you down to the, to the jail, and I'm going to let you, I got to let you out. So anyway, he released me from the hospital, police took me down and put me in the, in the city bucket there in Moose Jaw and, and uh, then took me up to the court. And I couldn't believe it. I go, to the, I go to court and my dad had never bailed me out, ever. He always said, you got yourself into it, get yourself out of it. So I'd sit and, you know, whatever had to happen. Um, I, and I never got bailed out. And so here my brother and my mother were there because dad was in the hospital. And uh, they put their house up uh, which was unheard of. They put the, they were retired people. They put their house up for uh, for my reconnaissance, and I was just the kind of you know jerk that would have uh, taken off, and they would have lost their house. And uh, but they did it, and so I got out of the hospital, got out of the, and they released me from the jail. I went to my mom's house, and it was a day or two later, my girlfriend came over and uh, or no no I was I was back at the hospital with my mom visiting my dad and uh, my girlfriend was there with us and in fact I think she drove us there so we um, anyway we uh, were visiting with dad and this orderly comes in and he's talking to my girlfriend Fran and he says uh, she says to me she says do you want to go to a youth meeting and um, and I thought, well, anything, you know, to get away from my mother. <laughs> get away from the house, right? Because mm -hmm. she wasn't letting me out of her sight because mm -hmm. I was on I was on bail, right? And she had to she had to say, mm -hmm. and all my old friends were calling and coming in the middle of the night trying to get me to go party and before I went down the river. <laughs> so so my my friend says, Do you wanna go? And I said, Yeah, let's go ahead. So Danny had a car. And he pulls up, it's 50 below zero in January in Moose Jaw. Mm. I mean, it was a cold, oh. And he pulls up in this old, I still remember the car. He had a, he had a 50 Merc. And he pulled up in front of this little church. And I thought, you know, what the hell are we doing here? And he said, I gotta go in, I'm, I'm, I'm running late and they're waiting on me. And he, and he shut the car off. And he jumped out of the car and ran up the steps of this little church. Well, I was furious. I was furious. I wanted to give him a beating right there. So, so anyway, Fran said, oh, come on. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And I, she said, let's go in. He wanted us to go to this youth meeting. And I thought, yeah, but I didn't know it was going to be in a church, right? So we go in this church. <laughs> and uh, I hear this music. And it's like gospel music, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy gets up and he's singing. And I'd never heard music like this before. I had, uh, uh, as a kid, I went to the United Church. And, um, uh, you know, it was sort of like uh, God's frozen people, right? <laughs> and, and so we didn't have, you know, you didn't really feel the music that much anyway. That I, that I remembered as mm. a kid, but my mom liked it. 
And so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, this place just seemed alive. And there, this music was really touching me. And Fran and I were sitting there, and, and she's taking it in, and, and uh, you know, she just wants it to get to be over with. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy sings this song. It's called uh, "He Touched Me." And uh, and as he's singing the song, the words of it just, you know, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of uh, sin and shame, mm -hmm. and then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I'm no longer the same. And I thought, and, and those words from Mr. Barr when I was in the hospital, you know, that he's not, he's not dead, he's alive. Mm -hmm. And I, this song just seemed to bring that back. And, and I just, that electricity again. And so this guy, this pastor that was speaking, he says, uh, uh, if, if you want to turn your life over to God, if you want to accept Christ into your life, um, come forward. And so I took Fran's hand and I said, let's go up. And she shook me off. She said, are you kidding me? And I, she said, you just want to cause trouble. She thought I wanted to go up and start a fight or something. Again. And I said, no, Fran, I got to go. I got to go. I knew it. She thought I was nuts. She thought I'd lost it totally. And um, I went up, and my life's never been the same. Yeah, I, my life's never been the same. I had a profound spiritual awakening, and I, I got it kind of ahead of the things, you know, and I remember afterwards, as I, as I uh, went back to the, the church, a couple of days later, I, I, the pastor had talked to me, and and I said to him, I said, I think I need to go to an AA meeting. <laughs> and he, he meant well. He was a really good man. He just, he really meant well. And he said, uh, no, he said, uh, no, you don't need AA. Uh, you got Jesus now. And I think if we'd have been listening, if both of us had been listening to Jesus, we'd have heard, <laughs> we heard the Lord saying, Wayne, get your ass to an AA meeting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I kind of... I kind of went around the the long way around, uh, but that that awakening that I had sustained me, and believe it or not, you know, I, I got <laughs> I I I thought this this can't be real. This just cannot be real, and all my friends thought I I I was nuts that I, you know, one guy actually said he the day that he got out of prison he called me up and wanted me to party. And uh, want me to meet him in the bar, and I said, "No, no, Tom, I won't. I'm not going to the bar." But I said, "I'll meet you for coffee." And he said, "This stuff about you getting religion that I heard while I was in the joint—it's not true, is it?" And I said, uh, "No, no, I didn't get religion." And he said, "Oh, thank, thank God, you didn't get religion." <laughs> and I said, "No, I didn't get religion, but I came to know Jesus." <laughs> So he said, oh, it's true, it's true, you freaking <laughs> lost your mind. And uh, so I, I, anyway, I, I, I think back on that and I think, boy, Tom, if I, uh, if I lost my mind, I'm glad I did. Because mm. I'd never been happier. <laughs> everything, everything changed that, that day. So the craziest thing is how these things work. We were, we were talking a little bit ago about uh, this TV show uh, 
um, God friended me mm. uh, about this podcast where this guy starts getting these uh, um, God friend fr- God friend things I don't know mm. and uh, uh, and he's an atheist he friend request from God yeah, yeah. W- what is it friend, friend request. request friend request from you. God that's it took me a second yeah yeah, yeah. and he's and he says uh, you know he's he's an atheist and he's his father is the is the bishop of the Episcopal Church in New York City and uh, and he just he's fighting this all the way but all these things keep happening and, and he's, he, he just won't he can't see it how can all these coincidences be happening and uh, I the coincidence on this one that I wanted to, the reason I said that was like two days later three days later the pastor that, that also was the guy singing that song, he touched me. He had a beautiful voice. The pastor was a good speaker, and they had a hall, the co-op hall in downtown Moose Jaw at that time. And they filled that hall up with people coming to hear him speak and sing because he was well-known, a well-known singer in churches across Canada and at that time. And... Uh, he, so I go to this, we all go to this, this meeting, mm-hmm. and uh, in, in those days, they, they uh, I think they still do, but in a, like in a meeting, when we go to a meeting and sometimes you, you open it up for people to speak, mm. to share, well, in, in some of the churches, they have what they call a testimony meeting, right? And this is my first introduction to a testimony meeting. Okay. So they, they... Uh, they wanted people to give testimony, to, to share a word um, of gratitude to God. And uh, so people were standing up and speaking, and, and, uh, and I was sitting there, and I knew I just, I was so overflowing with gratitude. Even though I knew I was going to prison, I was out on bail waiting for my trial, all of that stuff. I knew I was going to prison, but I just knew this was real, and I had to give... <laughs> That testimony, and so I, I gave what you call a, a popcorn testimony. Mm. Uh, Dave, Dave will tell you, Darcy, that uh, I don't do that very often anymore. That I usually speak a lot longer. Um, a yeah, popcorn, there's no popcorn a, about it a anymore. Popcorn testimony is where you, you <laughs> pop up, turn white, and sit back down again. <laughs> and, and so I, so I jumped up, and I just said, I just want to thank God, mm. and I, and I was down. That was it. I just want to thank God, and I was sat down. Guess who's sitting in the back of the room? That old guy, Bill Barr, that was in the hospital. Mm. He was in the back of the room with his wife. And he had just, he'd only been out of the hospital a couple of days. And uh, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. So when the meeting was over, mm-hmm. and the music, and everybody was visiting and having refreshments and stuff like that, he came up to me. And he said, Wayne, is that you? And I said, Mr. Barr? Because <laughs> I talked to him different times after that happened in the hospital. And he said, oh, my God. And, you know, he just couldn't believe it. And he was just, they were so excited. So then I find out that um, the night that I had, was at this little church with my girlfriend, um, that I had that I had the spiritual awakening that night um, he he got out of the hospital that day 
and he went to a prayer meeting. And uh, you know what a prayer meeting is? It's a meeting where you go to pray. <laughs> a lot of churches used to have them. You don't hear about it very much anymore. It's as complicated as it sounds. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And he went to this prayer meeting at his church. And he told them about this young guy who was in all this trouble and was you know, going to go down the river for a long time uh, because of the kind of charges they were going to bring against me. And he said, uh, and he said, I, I just ask you to pray for this kid because he's in real serious trouble. And I think maybe, you know, maybe there's a seed that was planted. Mm. And boy, there was, you know, he's alive. <laughs> it was planted. So, so anyway, he said, and they, that was the night that you were in that church. We were praying for you. He said, and I, I knelt at the front of that church along with a bunch of people, and they asked God to touch, touch your life. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> just a coincidence, right? Yeah. Just a coincidence. It's got to so <laughs> An old, uh, old Methodist bishop, he was speaking at um, uh, university in at Champaign-Urbana. I've been, been there for a summer course in uh, Illinois at the University of Illinois. And uh, he spoke in this big auditorium, which I've also been in. And he said, uh, af afterwards, a reporter asked him, tell me, uh, uh, Bishop Temple, tell me, um, don't you think all this stuff about prayer is just a coincidence, mm -hmm. you know? And he looked at this reporter very thoughtfully and he said, you know, young fellow, he said, that could very well be. But he said, the interesting thing to me is that when I pray, I have coincidences. When I don't pray, I don't have them. <laughs> so anyway, so much for coincidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that began... Uh, I guess it had begun before that, when you think about it, eh? Yeah. Uh, the spiritual journey had already started to prepare my heart, but I... Uh, so it wasn't very long afterwards when uh, um, I, went to tr I went to court and I had to go to trial. And uh, I went... I had a Queen's Bench trial for uh, discharging a firearm with intent to kill five people. And uh, when I went to trial, the um, my lawyer didn't want me to. Um, first of all, I didn't want a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I didn't want a lawyer, but I have to had to have a lawyer because I thought I'm just going to plead guilty to everything because I did it. <laughs> but they said, no, it doesn't work that way. You you don't say you did it. You you didn't really try to kill them. You know you. Fired a, you them. fired a gun, but you really weren't, you didn't have the intent. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, I guess, I guess you could kind of <laughs> rationalize it that way. I wanted to, <laughs> but, I, but I couldn't do it anyway. So, so anyway, the, um, the lawyer I had, <laughs> he was something else. Uh, we got into some good arguments. He, um, he had me plead not guilty. And uh, where are they going to go with that? 
So anyway, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the trial. Oh, I know, I know. I, I wanted to go on the stand. I wanted to be a witness. <clears throat> and he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, we can't do it. If you go on the stand, he said, they're going to eat you alive. And he knew, he knew that the judge, he, from my court records, he knew that the judge had prosecuted me before, right? And he knew that the, um, now, now that, no, that's wrong, that's wrong. He was the prosecutor on that trial, but he had prosecuted me before. And the word was he could really get my goat, and he did, right? Um, and his name, he, he, was, he became a wonderful judge. And actually, we became friends when I worked with the John Howard Society mm -hmm. in uh, Moose Jaw and on the pro work with the parole board. And uh, his name was Alistair Muir. He was, a, he was a great Scottish barrister, you know. And he was, oh boy, he was out to get me big time. And um, he thought, well, I was the mayor's nephew. And uh, I got away with bloody murder, he figured. And it was time to pay the piper. And so he really went after me. So, that, so my lawyer didn't want me to go on the stand at mm -hmm. all. So I go on the stand. And the first day I was on the stand for, oh gosh, it must have been five, five to seven hours. They really went after me and I lost my temper. Mm. I blew it big time the first day. I was defending myself, you know, and the whole thing. So that night I was out on bail still. My pastor came over to visit me at the house. And he said to me, he said, Wayne, he said, uh, don't defend yourself. Don't defend yourself. Mm. Let God defend you. Jesus said, or, or no, Paul said that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Mm. He's your lawyer. Be, he, let him be your lawyer. Don't. Uh, Doesn't don't it sound like yourself. sound advice before your court case, though? No. No. <laughs> Like it I know. doesn't. I know. I understand. It doesn't make it, sense. I understand where he's leading. It doesn't there, make any sense. Yeah. He said, let, let him be your lawyer. Just let him defend you. Did you look at him and go, you know he's not really here? No, I actually respected him a yeah. lot. He was the one <laughs> he was the one that told me the same pastor. I went to him because I was so pissed off after I had got you know, after I had that spiritual awakening and started going to church and everything. He was the one that told me to pray for these people that I hated, that mm. tried to kill me, mm -hmm. and that I found out were ratting people out, uh, including myself, and that I was going to prison and they weren't, mm. you know, because they because they ratted me and my friends out. Anyway, that's what I thought of it anyway at that time, but but I went to him and and he was the same one that told me, pray for them, mm. and I was like, are you effing crazy? This is when I was brand new to all this stuff. And the pastor, he was such a he was such a sweet guy. He was like he was so calm, he was so calm and so quiet. And I was raging, right? I wanted to. I, I told him, I said, I want to kill these guys. Mm. I said, I still, I still go to bed at night thinking about being outside when they come out of the car with a shotgun and blowing them to kingdom come. And you're telling me because I'd heard that they had that one of them, the one that tried to kill me, had 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 a religious experience. 
He had a spiritual awakening too. Hmm. And I thought, I'm not, I don't want to go to heaven if he's going, forget it. Because <laughs> I'd heard he had a spiritual awakening. I was, I was really effed up, man, <laughs> big time. So that uh, was the same pastor. So on the stand, the second day, I let, I let God defend me. And I took responsibility, hmm. and, which I didn't the day before. I took responsibility. And I was on the stand for another, gosh, I think four hours that day. And um, the, long, the, you know, the, the, the amazing part of this whole thing is that years later, after, David, after I met your mom and married mm. your mom, and I was a student minister in Moose Jaw, yeah. I went into a, a, a store to buy our first TV. Hmm. Secondhand TV in those days. And Darcy, you wouldn't believe the TVs they used to have. 12, 12 inches was our first TV, right? And it was secondhand. And the, it, was, it was Quan's music store. Um, and his guy's name was Scotty Quan. He was a well-known businessman in Moose Jaw. He was on the jury that found me not guilty of attempted murder mm. and guilty of assault with a, with a deadly weapon, which made all the difference in the world mm. between going to the penitentiary in Prince Albert mm. or going to the Regina Correctional Center. And all the difference in the sentence because the Mounties were betting I would get at least eight years. That was what they were betting. And, uh, and so, but Scotty was on that jury. I go in to buy this little TV, our mm. first TV, and uh, Scotty's in there. And he looks at me and he says, Wayne, Wayne Lurie? And I said, yeah. And he says, I was on the jury. In fact, he said, I, was the, I think he was the chairman of the jury that day. And I said, yeah, Scotty, I remember you. And, and uh, you know, I owe, I owe you guys a lot, you know. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm a, I'm a student here at Aldersgate College in Moose Jaw. And I'm going on, going to go to seminary, and and uh, uh, you know I'm married, and and this is our first TV, <laughs> so I got a good deal on the TV. Nice. Anyway, a really good deal. I uh, <laughs> no coincidence. What did a TV cost back then? Just oh, out of curiosity. David, I got that TV for probably fifty or sixty bucks. Yeah, but fifty or sixty bucks translated to today yeah, would be yeah. what, five six hundred maybe. I suppose. I, I don't even. know. It was a twelve inch, and it was second hand, right? Yeah. Yeah, with rabbit ears. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my phone is a 12-inch screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Scotty Here's says two. to me, Scotty says to me, Wayne, he said, uh, yeah, he said, that, that was amazing. And he said, I've always wondered uh, uh, how you were doing. Mm -hmm. Because he said, uh, you know, he said, um, we, when we were deliberating, when the jury was deliberating, we talked about it and we believed you. We believed you. We, we thought about what you said and, and how it all kind of laid out there and how honest you were. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember if I asked him about the first day or not, but he said how honest you were about taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. And he said that's when we knew that you really didn't try to kill those guys, mm -hmm. that it was, um, you know, that it was assault, right? And so that's when I, I mean, I heard that from yeah. the, the chairperson of the jury. So it was, uh, 
an amazing thing. Amazing. And you know, you know, Davey, these coincidence things, I've, you got me thinking about this as I was, or I guess wasn't you that got me thinking about it, but just... Uh, could have been. How, yeah, it could have been. I'm shady. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shady. I do weird is, things. Is this is, I was just doing a, a fifth step with a fella, and uh, we, we were sharing a little bit. I, I don't talk too much when I'm listening to people do a fifth step where you admit to God, to yourself, and another human being the exact nature of your wrongs. Mm. Um, and uh, he had really done some heavy-duty step four work, uh, which you got, which you need to do to do a thorough step five. But but uh, I forget how we got talking about it. We were talking about coincidences. It came up, and, and uh, it was after we were finished, and we were just kind of sharing. And I said, you know, I said, oh, he said, if I ever, I suppose I'll never have an opportunity to make amends for this. And I said, never say never. Because mm. I said, you know, I was a pastor at uh, Central United Church for 26 years. And I'm, I'm working in my office one day, and I get a call from a wonderful, friendly young lady asking me, she, they'd heard about me as a minister, and uh, we were so close to the Palliser Hotel at Central. Would I be interested in doing their wedding at, over at the Palliser? And she said, uh, could we come in and talk to you about it? And I said, well, of course. I'd love to talk to you. So they came in, and I, I just loved this couple. They were real sweethearts. So we set up the wedding. Um, we set everything up. I get over, I meet with the couple. We go over, I go over to meet at the Palliser with them um, a while before the wedding. And the groom says to me, my dad uh, is going to read, do a reading in the wedding. And I said, oh, well, of course, that'd be wonderful. I'd love that. And um, he told me his dad's name. And when he told me his dad's name, I thought, there's no way this can be possible. I'd gone to prison the first time to the Regina Correctional Center. I'd gone there for the, <laughs> the first time for um, assaulting an RCMP officer in Gravelburg, Saskatchewan. And um, it was the same, his dad's name was the name of that RCMP officer. This is 40 years later, <laughs> 35, 40 years later. So very so, coincidental. Very coincidental. Yeah. Yeah. So I look at this guy when I see him and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. He looks like that guy. So anyway, at the reception afterwards at the Palliser, they have this really nice area. You walk over the, I don't know what they call it over in there, but you go across that glass. It's really fancy. Oh, the uh, bridge there? The yeah, yeah, you walk yeah. across that bridge. Yeah. In there. You're actually, the, the restaurant uh, where they serve you and everything for the, um, it, it's almost over the, the cars driving underneath yeah, you yeah, over first I forget street what there. they call that yeah 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 it's it, the one it, that goes across first street southwest yeah yeah, right yeah. by it's Ave. a big fancy one there you know yeah. it's yeah. not like a walking plus 15 but it's 
It, but it, it, they go right across to mm -hmm. the restaurant area for uh, receptions and stuff. So we're sitting there. They play. They put me right beside the the uh, groom's father, and I notice he's got a AA pin on. Well, like a triangle in a circle. Yeah. 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 I notice the pin, and I'm looking at him, and I and I said, um, "Hey, uh, Jim, um, what do you do?" And he said, "Well, I was in the RCMP for a lot of years." And I mean, I knew right well, right? He said, my wife and I, we, we've got our motorhome here. And he said, I retired a number of years ago. And I looked at him and I said, Jim, I said, uh, I need to make an amends to you. And he looked at me and he said, why? And I said, because I was that kid that assaulted you in Gravelberg. Cause he, well, he told me, I asked him where he served. And he said, Gravelberg. And he said, and I said, what years? And it was, it was him, obviously. Yeah. So then I said to him, I need to make amends. And uh, I was that kid that did, did, oh my God, he said, no way. And I said, because I'm the minister that just married his son. I just did his <laughs> son's wedding. And, and of course, people at the table, this is a fancy place, right? These people at the table, family, her family, his family, they're, they're listening to all of this, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, this was awesome. He says, Wayne, he said, uh, well, I want to take this opportunity, and everybody's listening, to make amends to you. Because mm -hmm. he said, I was a drunk back then. And I, that night, I was drunk. Because he, he, he assaulted me first, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it wasn't right what I did. But I really gave it to him bad, and I got it anyway. Anyway, I won't go into all that. But I, ga I gave it to him bad. Um, but he had he had gone at me too, right? And he made amends. Mm. And we so coincidence. Sounds uh, like it. All these years later, and so I was telling this fellow that we had done a fifth step. I was telling him, I said, "Don't, never say never, never say never," because it's uh, all of this stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't understand it, you know, Darcy. I, I can't, I don't understand it. Um, but I, I just, I look back and I think, all these years, you know, 52, going on 53 mm -hmm. years. Your mom's put up with me now, Davey, for almost 52 years. We've been wow. married. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Three sons, five grandchildren, you know. And all 52 years as a preacher. Yeah. That's far out. Been in the ministry the whole time. Yeah. yeah, the whole time. And I've met so many amazing people over mm. the years, like Johnny Cash, you know? Yeah, Billy at the Billy Graham crusade, I was one of his security people, Johnny and June Cash. Oh, yeah. wow. Prayed and prayed with, well, with Billy Graham, I was on the platform with Billy Graham. All not his kid, by the way. Not the, not the younger Billy Graham, the guy that was <laughs> Oh, yeah. There. Pride this year. That's yeah. his son. Yeah, and he's a he's a wing nut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not so keen. On yeah, but uh, senior. Yeah, he was an amazing guy. That's quite a movement. Oh yeah, that's quite a movement. Yeah. Yeah, it's in the early days. Yeah. So, but it's, it, so all those years, you know, when you think about it, 
and all the wonderful, I mean, I've met some amazing people and helped some amazing people and been helped by some amazing people over the years. It just blows my mind, you know, you know. And the, but the, the amazing thing, the, the biggest thing too, leading up to all of that, giving you that background, um, we moved back here from California in uh, 91, mm -hmm. 1991. Um, I just really wanted uh, to get you guys out of the States after that whole Kuwait, Iraq thing and, and um, um, our old, my oldest son Greg, um, he joined the American military and it was a really good thing for him. He, he, the discipline and, and, and all of that for him, what he was struggling with. But I, I just, the, the, political, um, the political stuff down in the States, you could just see some of the things that were going on and I just wanted to get the kids out of there. And I wanted to come back here. I just loved Calgary. Marilyn and I loved Calgary and we really wanted to come back here. Um, so I just had a, and I had a sense that there was a reason, you know, there was mm -hmm. a purpose in all of it. I had no idea that it was recovery, that I really needed, I, I had dabbled in recovery down in California. That sounds kind of like a coincidence too though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had dabbled in it because of uh, our oldest son, you know, and, and he shared it very freely, his, some of his struggles. Um, so I had to go to meetings, 12-step meetings, and we were in a program and so forth. Um, but I never really, I never really thought that I, that I really needed to get into this, mm -hmm. into recovery myself. So when we came back, when we moved back here in 91, I was invited, I was, we were down at, at Central United Church, and I was invited by a, a major over at the Salvation Army downtown, uh, the Harbor Light that used to be down there, um, right on McLeod Trail. People still talk about that meeting. Yeah, they yeah. They call it the Harbor Light meeting. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Do they? And I, I, I didn't go to the meeting at first, but I, I was invited to speak at... Um, um, to the guys that came, you know, and of course the deal was they had to sit through a church service so they could get a bowl of soup, right? Jeez, I so forgot they, could, they did that. They could yeah. get fed. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> so anyway, I go to this meeting and I'm, and I'm speaking at the meeting and the guy who was in charge of them, the, the uh, director, was a fellow named Bill Crossan and Bill C. And it turns out he was an old timer in AA at that time. He's gone now. Um, but um, him and I just hit it off right away. And I, I thought there's something different about this guy. He's not, um, not that, I mean, I, Salvation Army people are good, good folks, but I could tell this guy was not real religious. And I kind of liked that about him, that, it, that he wasn't re real religious. But I, but there was a purity about him, you know, and I'm sure that if Bill was listening to me now and say saying that, that there was uh, a purity. Probably about him? hears me in heaven, <laughs> and he's thinking, Wayne, don't lay it on so thick. But it, but there was there was a purity about him. He was a spiritual guy. That's what it was. It was spirituality, mm -hmm. and that was my first time that I really, rem as I got to know Bill, 
I started to notice a difference between spirituality and religion. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bill liked me right away, and I liked him right away. And he took me out for one day. He said, Wayne, he said, I, I really sense something about you that you're, um, that you're open. And he said, I'd really like to take you out for lunch. So we went out for lunch, and, and he talked to me about spirituality, talked to me about recovery. Mm -hmm. And he invited me to come to some meetings over at the Harbor Light with mm -hmm. the guys. That's yeah. where I got to know our friend that we yeah. ran into the other day and, and a lot of other guys. That's yeah. where I got to know a lot of them. And uh, I started to look at myself and I, <laughs> then I, I went to an AA meeting, this one meeting, and it was hardcore AA. And in that meeting, um, you know, we, I was going through some struggles, you know, um, in my life and, and questioning things. and. And uh, and I, and that this meeting it, it really hit me. I need to I need to do this. That I've got stuff going on in my life that I'm. And and of course at first I thought I'm a religious addict. You know I still believe that that I'm a recovering religious addict. That it, what happened was I I I treated the um, the violence and the alcohol and the drugs and the sex. I traded all that stuff um, for religion. It kept me out of jail. It kept me out of jail. And, and it get, there was a lot of good in it, a lot of good in it that was so positive at first as I had that spiritual awakening. The problem was, I, I think, as I look back on it, I think was that I got um, so immersed in church and, and in religion that, that I lost sight of what had happened in my life, the spiritual awakening. Mm. It was a spiritual awakening, and it wasn't about um, it wasn't about religion. It wasn't about rules and regulations and rites and rituals. It was it was about relationship. It was about a, a relationship with my higher power, whom for me, uh, it, it's always been. Christ. It's always been Jesus. I, I've never had a, a, a real problem with Jesus, right? And because uh, I don't, I fired my old God when I, when I started going to meetings. Mm -hmm. I, I fired my old God because what had happened was I began, I accepted, began to accept the God of every, the God of other people, the God of religion, the God of the church. And instead of who Jesus shows me God is, which is a God of unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, the difference between religion and, and spirituality, that's the bottom line for me. So I had become a religious addict. Mm -hmm. but I ne And I never really got, you know, in, in all the counseling I got from Bill and the grief work I did with, with thanks to Bill, um, because I carried so much grief over the loss of my uh, my real mom, you know, mm -hmm. I it, it I was in a counseling session with Bill in his office there at the Harbor Light, and uh, he asked me he was so discerning and he asked me a question I don't even remember what it was, but he asked me a question and when I tried to answer the question, it was like and in those days we didn't have the big screens like this one right up here right. Um, it was like this big screen came up behind Bill uh, where he was sitting at his desk and on the screen was the picture 
of my mom, you know, my sister Betty that I grew up with and uh, that died from the overdose. And all of a sudden I just broke like a dam, it was like a dam broke. And I just bawled and bawled and bawled for a couple of days. I, I wept and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I grieved. Mm -hmm. And I'd never let that out before. That that was what was going on and I kept, I had all that inside me, you know. And uh, Bill told me, he said, Wayne, you need to get it all out because you're, you're only as sick as your secrets. And that was the beginning of it. And then, then I re recognized that I also had other addiction going on in my life. And, uh, and now I, re I, I know I'm an alcoholic addict, you know, as well as a, not just an addict, but like I see myself as a all-around addict. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I have an addictive personality. I can be addicted, <laughs> I can be addicted to anything. Yeah. Especially and I am. Especially if it's good. Yeah, especially mm -hmm. if it's good. Yeah. By that, by good, I just mean makes you feel good. Yeah, it makes you feel yeah. good. Gosh. Those were good days, though. Like, Bill Bill had a light around him. Yeah. Like, he always he had did. a light. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it, David. When you he were talking light about it, it just him. popped back in there. I could remember just wanting to be around him. Because yeah. you knew he was connected to something that you couldn't see. And that, yeah. that probably I had never known yeah. up until that point. Definitely had never known it that, yeah. uh, like you said, the relationship yeah. to this higher power, something that's just totally bigger than us. Yeah, and it was it was always around him, even though you could barely see him some days because we'd smoke so much in his office, and the halo <laughs> would get a little gray and blue. Because yeah. back then you smoked in meetings constantly. Oh like, yeah, I, I the, the nutty thing about that is that I I had quit smoking for twenty five oh, yeah, years. That's right, twenty five years. And, and, and Bill, going to those meetings at Harbor Light, we all drank coffee together. And I love black coffee. And it just seemed so natural. Everybody else was smoking. And so I started smoking again. So he goes to AA and starts smoking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was insane when you think about it, you know. Gosh. Yeah, but that's the way it was. Like yeah. you, We were smoking in the oh, office. Yeah. At, like we, were, we could smoke almost everywhere yeah. still. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Bill. Bill had well. Well, Bill had that light about him, like you mm -hmm. say, he did, and and Bill came into our lives. Uh, Marilyn and I, your mom and I, mm -hmm. we were struggling with some things, you know. After twenty five years of being married, and uh, we were that close to being divorced, it was a tough time for us. Mm -hmm. And if it hadn't have been for Bill, yeah, and for recovery for both of us, because we both got into recovery. And uh, I did my, my step five with Bill. Mom did her step five with Sister Helen. Mm. And uh, it was just, it, it was so life-changing for mm. us, you know. So, so here, what had happened for, well, I speak for myself, what had happened for me was that I reconnected with that original spiritual awakening mm. and, and started to understand um, what had been going on in my life. Mm -hmm. And and all I wanted was to to um, deepen uh, that spiritual life, that spiritual work, and, and so being able and, and feeling so privileged to share the message, you know, mm -hmm. giving people hope, you know, like our service next yeah. next Saturday, you know, uh, a, a service for people who are hurting at, in the hall, you know, when the holidays hurt. 
and they've lost somebody, you know, to to drugs and to alcohol, and just or they've just experienced loss. Mm -hmm. To provide a service like that, and uh, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Um, hope and healing. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, you know, I, I and I continue to be. Um, to be able to be involved in helping mm -hmm. people that are hurting, that are struggling, you know, and and just being there. Not that you can fix it, yeah. But that if you can just be a a, a voice of of hope, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, that definitely. Yeah. When you guys got into recovery, it definitely shifted. Like everything changed. Yeah. Like even the like that anxiety that I was with that I had all the time at that point about what was going to happen and between you and mom and yeah. and I know Nate and Greg probably felt the same way in their own in their own respect but it was uh, when you guys got into recovery it shifted something definitely changed oh, it was boy. just like and at first it's almost like you have <clears throat> people go into recovery right away and something blows up and it's like something's bad happening and then from there you can either grow or you can go backwards right and I think watching you guys grow through it instead of avoiding it and just going backwards right yeah. it was like a total game changer yeah boy you know there's a, a great book um, the road less traveled mm -hmm. by uh, dr. Scott Peck and that book um, came into my life at a time when uh, you talk about coincidence again um, Scott Peck talks about uh, at the about different um, levels of spirituality mm -hmm. and uh, when I first had that spiritual awakening I came out of chaos right I, ca I came out of my life was chaos and I needed order mm -hmm. and so I came into a church that gave me order and um, it was kind of borderline fundamentalist but but it provided order mm -hmm. And as long as you talk the way everybody else talked, yeah. looked the way everybody else looked, smelled the way of, everybody else That's smelled. kind of the beauty of the fundamentals, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. You, can, you can find that security there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't have to work these things out yourself. Totally. Interestingly enough, the Bible says you need to work out your own salvation mm -hmm. with fear and trembling. Yeah. You need to take it seriously and work it out yourself. Mm hmm not to just take everybody else's word for it, yeah. right? And uh, I listened to everybody else. And, and so that, that was the thing I had to mm -hmm. break free of. Yeah. So, and Scott Peck talks about that. Okay, so, so I needed order in my life because my life was chaos. Mm -hmm. So that, that level of, of, of uh, spirituality was more of that fundamentalist yeah. approach. Yeah. Then, then, if you're lucky, I think other people wouldn't agree with me on that at all but then I the way I understood it from what Scott Peck was saying is that you come to a place where you start to challenge mm. and maybe you lose your faith you question things and maybe you're pissed off you know which I was mm. I went through that and uh, I, I remember um, talking to a guy that knew me in the old knew me as a in the church and he thought that uh, uh, he, he thought you know I'd lost my faith and I said to him I said you know I said uh, I'm not sure right now I even believe in God mm. 
you know. But one thing I do know, so this tells the story, really. One thing I do know is that God believes in me. Mm. I know if I believed in him, but I, but I said I, he believes mm. in me. The fellow I was talking to, he had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. But I knew that God could handle, I knew God could handle my rebelliousness, mm. my questions, um, and uh, my feeling that I don't want religion anymore. And that was when I fired my mm. old God. Right? And I said, no, I don't want that. I want truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, what is that? What is, it? What is the way, the truth, and the life? And I thought, I better find out. Mm-hmm. After all these years of being a pastor, you know, and sharing this message, what is it? And so then, then he, Scott Peck says, you know, then hopefully... You know, you work through this stuff and you come to a place where it's about spirituality, mm. where it's really about relationship and, and it's about love. Mm. It's about love, unconditional love. And that's when my whole message, everything changed. Everything became about unconditional love. Mm. And, I, and of course, that through recovery, mm-hmm. that's the higher power that I believe in. Yeah. You know, a God of unconditional love, mm-hmm. acceptance, and forgiveness. And so I, and I sure don't, I don't have a problem with anybody that, that doesn't, uh, you know, that has a problem with Christ, mm-hmm. you know. I just remember some of the folks that I've known and I've said, you know, just maybe read about Jesus, read the Gospels mm-hmm. and see what you think. Yeah. And come back to me and say, whoa, this Jesus, he's not such a bad guy mm-hmm. at all, you know. Yeah. And he doesn't seem all that religious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he wasn't a Christian. He was just yeah. Christ. Yeah, he was just Christ. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Like he was just yeah. a dude who, like, it's named after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, they, I think lots of it got wrong about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, lots of it got wrong. So that's kind of been the message. And when, when we were at um, Central, uh, through Bill, mm-hmm. Bill Crossan, um, that was when we started the recovery ministry. And out of the recovery ministry, uh, well, the CUPS had already yep. been started through Central, and, uh, and then we helped start in from the cold yeah. in Calgary. Yeah. And John Robson was one of our guys. That, I was going to um, say, he was another one who had light around him. Oh, yeah, and John was yeah. one of those guys at Harbor Light. Yep. John and I, went. that's where I got to know John. Yep. And John became part of our ministry at Central, uh, our recovery ministry, mm-hmm. the Sunday evening recovery service. And that really grew. John would be up there sitting in the front all the time. And uh, he became the first paid director for In From the Cold. Yep. And then when he was dying, and he knew you, had been in our home many times, mm-hmm. and knew you, and uh, um, took you under his wing. Yep. He was probably my first non-familial mentor, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and he mentored you to be the director of In From the Cold to follow him when he died of cancer. And so it's um, no coincidences. He was awesome. Yeah, and he thought the world of you, David. That dude worked for six months high on morphine and doing all kinds of work like 24-7. Like he was just a giver, man. And... and, uh, I, I, he wasn't always high on morphine, but he had cancer, he had stomach cancer, so he was yeah. in pain constantly, and 
So he always had to have morphine, but he was just still tireless, man. So yeah, as a mentor, he was good, but he was also bad. Yeah. Because yeah. he just never stopped working. Yeah. And he knew that I was the same. He was just and John, John said, John told me that uh, when, I, when, I, when you do my funeral, I want you to tell him the real story. Because a lot of the guys that were at the funeral, it was Central was absolutely packed to the rafters for yeah. his service. And they came all the way from Ottawa. But dude, you know those pictures of like from old religions where the people have like yellow glow behind their heads? That's what John had, man. That's why yeah. people just love that. Yeah. Dude. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, you didn't interrupt at all. No, John and I were very close. Yeah. He, uh, so what was the real story he wanted you to tell? Well, he wanted me to tell him that, that he was a hardcore heroin addict for, for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And that he did almost 20 years pen time. Mm-hmm. He wanted, because the people that came to the funeral, they were all people that uh, had been mm-hmm. captured by In From The Cold. Yeah. And, and the Ministry of In From The Politicians. Cold. And big pro- politicians, yeah. too, from Ottawa. Yeah. And leaders and minister, ministers, right, that came. And they thought John was this awesome, awesome guy. And he says, I want him to know where I came from, Wayne. Mm. I want you to tell him the truth, and I did. Because that's what made him. And I awesome. told him how John came to know Christ through, yeah. uh, you know, our, our ministry at uh, uh, at Central on Sunday nights and his recovery, and that. And they were blown out of the water. There were people that said to me, you know, they were they were all they're all decked out, you know. And of course, I dressed up for that one. But anyway, I wore a robe. I think. <laughs> yeah, you probably did. You still I wore a robe back then. Yeah. yeah. But uh, <clears throat> but John said, I, I want the real me out there. I don't want them dressing me up like a saint, you know, because mm. I'm no saint. So it That was, was a hard day. That was a tough day. That was a hard day, just thinking about it. Yeah, and then we went up, a, what was it, a few weeks later, was it, or the next week or yeah. whatever, and we had to go up to the mountains and scatter his ashes. Well, if you're out there and you're in law enforcement, we didn't scatter ashes out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was yeah. just stuff. Yeah. I, it was just me that did it. Just visiting. Yeah, we were just visiting the area where he loved to visit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So out of, out of that, Bill Crossan was the guy. I mean, I, you can see it now, I think, when I think about it. He was the motivator that um, brought about so much of the recovery ministry uh, that we're carrying on even mm-hmm. now. He started that whole, he was the seed planter, you know, Johnny Appleseed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so out of then in from the cold grew, and then um, exit, they moved mm-hmm. in the building there, and we, we were able to help them uh, when they had nowhere to go. Um, and then uh, your um, uh, Freedom's Path Recovery Society, was uh, born out of your ministry there mm-hmm. at downtown at Central. Which is basically born out of the old Central Recovery stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. There's not there's not a day goes by where I don't see you, Bill or John, in my head some at some yeah. point. Yeah. Like doing this stuff, right? Like, yeah. That's yeah, cool. It's all coincidence. Yeah, it's <laughs> very cool coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> lots of hard work and lots of prayers. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. But and people have been so supportive, you know. It's mm. been amazing, you know. And on and on it goes. Well, I have to like be honest, like that. Without you guys, um, 
not just you and mom, of course, but like without those guys and yourself doing what you guys were doing, I'm not here. Yeah. Like I'm just not right. Like I'm, I, I might be doing something else or whatever, but there's no way I'm doing this. Yeah, there's just no way. Like if it wasn't like instrumental people, right? Like and um, watching you and mom all those years, like just always bending over backwards to help others. Like even if you didn't have your shit straight, like with you guys, like you still helped others. Yeah. I mean that was seemed to be like a default setting for you and mom and. I, I think hopefully that becomes like my default because mm -hmm. I, I admire that in you guys a lot, especially like with, um, I don't know, I'm going to be gentle with the church, but like especially with some of the um, stuff that I've experienced myself through the, through the years with the church, how you guys manage to stay kind and compassionate. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, this is just your kid saying, I don't know how you did it. Like I, honest to God, don't know how you did it for 52 years like to to be and to be so faithful to it yeah. like and and there's there's something about that kind of faith that well it amazes me first of all but it's also like very powerful right like it's powerful that whatever it was 52 years ago that hooked you kept you hooked yeah and it just it has you still it still has me hooked. still has you hooked yeah yeah still has me hooked <clears throat> still still motivates me to keep going, right? Because I, I know it's real. Yeah, I know it's real. Um, you know, it, it, the, the saddest part of the whole thing is, I guess, really, when you say when, when you're talking about that, is that like the, the church today uh, doesn't resemble Jesus at all. Mm. The church today is so far from um, from what uh, what I believe Christ would want the church to be. You know. Um, Religion is so far. You know, everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, flew in the face of religion. Well, even his, even every. His, that's why yeah. they killed him. Yeah. That's why they crucified him. Yeah. Right? Because of the fact that he, he, he pissed people off. He was a revolutionary. Even right? secular books about him talk about him like that. Yeah. Right? Like that he was not necessarily like a, an easygoing dude. No. He had a mission, and that was his mission, right? His mission was to do what he did. Yeah, he stirred up things. Yeah, he, <laughs> he stirred got things up real good, real good. Yeah, <laughs> but it, so it's it's just sad. That that's the that's the part mm -hmm. for me, David, is th that it's sad. Mm -hmm. um, the priorities of uh, uh, of the church mm -hmm. are are so cockeyed, you know. Yeah, and it becomes like a self-preservation society, mm. you know. And that seems like really painful to yeah. witness. Like it, it would probably be painful of any large, long-standing organization when you're watching it kind of limp, yeah. right? Like you're, and I, this will probably have a much more profound effect on you, it, like as the church kind of limps into the next whatever generations come, right? Like. It doesn't look like it's getting stronger. Yeah. Like it's not getting stronger. There's not a good foothold. The Catholic Church, I imagine, probably in the next 10 to 20 years will probably dissolve. How could we keep feeding into the child molestation yeah. and all the stuff that's going on there? But anyway, that that's my my uh, quicksand. I guess step in I there. Guess the today. thing too about that is, when you think about it, the the sad part of it is. It breaks God's heart 
because the church, the real church, is the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. It's the body of Christ. You know, uh, Christ, w when he when he left, when he rose from the dead, and when he um, left this world, you know, he left his body here. Us believers, mm. pe people that are, and we're supposed to live it out, live mm -hmm. out that love that he, you know. So it breaks God's heart. I think. I think it mm. breaks God's heart. And I, I, and I, I say that I love the church. Mm. I, I love the true church. You have to because you've been here fifty-two years. Man. I, I was so <laughs> bent. Yeah. Over church, and over my own addictive behavior, my religious addiction, that when I first got into recovery. Um, as a religious addict, uh, if it hadn't have been for a fellow, a pastor, an Argentinian, Argentinian mm. minister, a pastor of the largest church in Argentina, he was one of Robert Schuller's pastors down in, uh, in um, at the, uh, what was it called? Uh, the, uh, Crystal Cathedral. Crystal Cathedral, Crystal Cathedral. Yeah. Cathedral. I don't know why and I couldn't think of that either. His name is Juan Carlos Ortiz one of the dearest men I have ever met. And he came here to speak at, uh, he was here in the area, and we got him to come to Central for a weekend, and he spoke. And at that time, I was just, I was looking to get out of the church, period. I was really pissed off with church. Mm. And uh, a lot of, you know, I, I was mad at myself, mostly, because I had been so codependent as a pastor and I was so concerned about you know looking the right way and dressing the right way and smelling the right way and acting the right way um, according to the according to the church and according mm -hmm. to religion and uh, Juan Carlos uh, uh, came and he talked about the true church the real church and then th through a story which was what absolutely broke my heart in pieces. Actually, and he spoke at Central mm -hmm. and the church was packed. And he talked about his son who was dying of AIDS hmm. in, uh, back down in California there in, in uh, Orange County. And he said, uh, he was telling the story about how his son was sleeping in, in their bed between his, him and his wife, mm. and that they didn't want to miss a moment with him. Mm. And he was so alone and, you know, dying of AIDS. And he talked about that, and he talked about the... And somehow I made the connection when he was sh speaking, whether that was a coincidence. There's a lot of that I made around. the connection that that's what the church is supposed to look like. Mm. Like Juan Carlos and his wife. Mm-hmm nurturing their son, mm -hmm. nurturing their child, right? And that that's what we're supposed to look like as a church. Yeah. That's why we're here. We're here to nurture people, mm -hmm. to comfort them, to love them, you know? And of course, it, it takes me to Mother Teresa. Mm. When you think of Mother Teresa, one of my uh, real spiritual heroes, you think of Mother Teresa in the streets of Calcutta. Mm -hmm with people who were dying horrendous deaths, mm. you know, in the, in the deepest poverty, right? And Mother Teresa 
reached out to them and embraced them and loved them mm -hmm. and ministered to their needs, you know, and, and taught her order to do the same. That's <coughs> what the church is supposed to look like. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to be about. And that's and what so I all always this thought. other bullshit. Yeah. It, it's, it's just, I know it breaks God's heart. Mm. I know it does. Religion breaks God's heart. But spirituality, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a relationship. That's yeah. the relationship, and that's yeah. love, unconditional mm. love. So, cool. I guess that's all I have to say. That's all you got? I'm done. <laughs> How much time is that? Nice, hour and 15. So, uh, before we go, was there something else I wanted to ask you about? Sure. Oh, you know what? Shit, dude, that's good. Yeah, I got nothing. It must have been, must have been not worth it. So, well, Pops, thanks oh. for coming on. I, lo I love you tons, man. Like, thank you for everything that you do. I love do. you too, son. Right We're on. so proud of you. Thank you. And Darcy, it's so good to be with you, brother. You're awesome. Isn't he awesome? You're Listen awesome. to him laugh when I'm you call him awesome. He giggles like you're a school awesome, girl. Man. You're awesome. <laughs> your your wife, I think, is speaking at the service next yeah. uh, Saturday. And daughter, yeah. yeah. Oh, and your daughter yeah. too. Oh, how cool is Samantha's that? Samantha's doing the land acknowledgement. She's got her own. Oh, wonderful. She does the land acknowledgement for our show too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Just a beautiful, beautiful family, man. Yeah. No, oh, you're a beautiful you're dude. You're beautiful, too, man. man. Don't you worry about that. Yeah. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Is that what they say? They some people do say that. A song or yeah. something like that. Is there a song like that? I think there is. I think there is. <laughs> Darcy's <laughs> like, when are you guys gonna shut up? If there is, it must be a coincidence, Darcy. <laughs> this is this is how we went four hours with mine. Yeah. yeah. Because we just start bullshitting, and then we end up talking for another hour. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's well, an honor to be here, guys. Yeah. It's I fun. appreciate your time. Yeah. You guys are great. Keep up the good work. Yeah, Darcy, keep up the you good work. You never shit. know who's hearing it. You never know. That's right. If it can give anybody hope, you know? Wow. Yeah. David, that one line, I should finish with that line. Which one? That one that that guy said to us down at Central years ago. You know, I came here and I was a hopeless dope addict. Mm, that's a good one. And now I'm a dopeless hope addict. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good line. That is a good line. Yeah. Yeah. Better to be dopeless, man. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.